0: Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. You've been with us. Last week, we started this new series called Lessons from the Kings. We are journeying through 1st, 2nd Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. And we're looking at pulling from this. What are the lessons? What are the lessons we need to learn? Um, the whole Old Testament is there as this cycle of history, just as, a, as this mirror to, to show us what we should be learning. And if we look at history, we keep repeating right, the, uh, the same thing over and over again. Uh, Again, in this series, I'm going to give you a lot of information. I'm going to put the manuscript out there if you want to dig in. You're going to see a lot of information on this screen. I just encourage you to take a picture of it. Dive in on all these passages on your own. Don't let the conversation end here. Let's encourage each other, pray with each other, walk alongside each other. Um, But this morning, I want to dive in on this issue. What does living after God's own heart look like? And we're going to look at the difference between Saul and David in this absolute critical issue of our heart. Um, and folks, nothing has really changed until the heart is changed, until the heart is actually stirred. And just to set the tone before we get in here, God knows exactly where you're at this morning. He knows every closet. He knows every thing that we've thought we've locked away. He knows every thought. He knows every intention. He knows our heart. The question, not only for our individual self, but for the health of the church and for the health of the nation, is the heart. And are we going to let God in to do His work right inside our heart? Our prayer needs to be, Lord, please today, would you stir the hearts of your people? Stir the hearts of your people. Um, And that is what is going to spur true and genuine change. So let me just get us into this with a kind of a harsh quote of the 22 civilizations that have appeared in history. 19 of them collapsed when they reached the moral state the United States is in now. Sobering. What's the answer? We're at a critical time. And folks, yeah, legislation is important. All we need to be involved in it, everything. But until God's people have a stirring of their heart a coming in alignment with the heart of God until there's a stirring among God's people until there's a stirring among God's church where Jesus is set again as the head of His church His word is the authority no more games being played with the word of God but until there's a stand on the truth of God honoring God above all else a desire as Ephesians says to find out how to please God among God's people there will not be any change we will fall to the same cycle we're going to read about in the book of the Kings where people rise up, right, with hearts that are far from God, that play games with God and we know the course of history you cannot, no nation there isn't anyone in all of history that is going down the line that we go down of just putting our and by the way, no nation has put their their hand in God's face like our nation today um, that's just the reality. You cannot continue to do what we're, what we're doing and expect life to go on or to get better. No expression of that in history at all. Um, but then it comes back. And so here's the deal is that we, and I don't want that crow to send us down a wrong a avenue, right? Because I don't know about you, but it's easy to get consumed with all the bad news, with all the things that are changing. Actually, this is a time for the church, for God's people to look inward to right here what are we doing a lot of what we see happening is a result of the church not being stirred not getting our house in order not getting our house clean so that god can come and do what he wants to do is make it a shining light set on the hill right for god's glory And so this morning, I want to take a deep dive in this. Uh, We're going to look at some big picture stuff as we compare Saul and David. And uh, this comes down to our own heart. What is our response to this? Um, And also, what's the response for the church? And as the church goes, so the nation is going to go. Um, It was uh, Bonhoeffer, I believe, who said the church should be informing the state, not the other way around. Not that everybody has to. Not that the state is church. So there's a separation there. But the church, God's people, should be informing the culture about life and about the blessing and the goodness right, that is going to move a culture in a healthy way. Um, sadly, it's gone the other way and has for right quite a, a while. So let's dive in this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles... If you open at First Samuel, we're going to start in thirteen four. I am only going to read short little pieces, just because I'm covering a lot of territory. But um, in the next slide, you'll have plenty of, of all the background verses um, on your own to uh, to go and hopefully dive in and look for, look for yourself. Dive in right to this story. All right, let's pray. Father, Lord, we need you. Jesus, you're the head of your church. This is your church. We're submitted to you. You are Lord. You are the King. Lord, we're citizens of your kingdom. And Lord, we ask that your kingdom would come. We ask that, Lord, you would bring your peace. Lord, you would bring your transformation, Lord, into the hearts of your people. Lord, stir up your people. Stir up your church. Stir up our hearts. Lord, you know where every heart is, you know where every struggle is inside us this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would come in deep conviction, in deep love, deep mercy, and deep transformation, Lord, you would stir us up, Lord, with a zeal for your house, and your glory, and your ways, Lord, Lord, for your glory. Now come and speak to us now, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you with me? You with me? All right, you can respond. It's good. It's a good thing. All right, First Samuel thirteen fourteen. What's happening here is um, Saul was the first king. Israel did not want a king. And they came to such a point. We talked about it last week. You can go back and check that out. We have our first three lessons from the kings last week. We're going to have our next three this week. And you can go see the, the, just the progression from the book of Judges to ending with now that people did everything they saw right in their own eyes. Um, folks, our experiment, right, that you've been taught in your higher education of relativism and your truth is your truth. Uh, it is a failure. Nowhere in history has it ever proven right. Judges in the Bible and the history is the greatest, oldest expression of it is a disaster from point beginning to point end, and uh, that led Israel down this path, right? And and they asked for a king, and and we talked about last week that um, God works within the structure. He he gives freedom right in in our will and others he wants people to love him he wants people to genuinely seek him out he wants people after his own heart he wants a genuine relationship and so he allows people and nations and cultures to to get what they ask for and to learn the hard way and we just see this over and over again And uh, Saul comes in, and he starts out, it starts out wonderful. He's anointed with the Spirit of God. It rushes upon him, um, and uh, he starts leading Israel. But quickly, Saul's heart uh, is revealed as not whole, not after the heart of God. And um, this leads us to where Samuel's had to come to him repeatedly. Uh, and, and if we'll track, we'll look at a few of these um, in a minute, but he just gets worse and worse. He, he, he violates and he ends his whole journey with the abomination of actually rejecting God. And because God wasn't going to show up, right, in his own heart, he goes after a medium. He doesn't, what is, the Old Testament says, is an abomination to God. He goes to, um, really towards witchcraft and, and the occult to find some kind of assurance. Um, And we're going to talk about that issue as well. And then Samuel comes to him in verse 14, he says this, But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be the prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded. Saul's heart was not whole. It doesn't mean he wasn't perfect. It means that he did not. If you look at Saul's life, folks... Even though he was confronted time and time again by Samuel and others and the consequences around him of warfare, he never repented. He would halfway repent. Oh, I no, 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 I'm sorry, but there was always this but. His heart was not fully engaged. He wasn't broken ever and contrite in spirit before God and wanting God's the fullness of what God had for him. And we see that this just continued right on through his life. And in 1 Samuel 16, um, we see here where the transition, Samuel has ripped the kingdom, God has ripped the kingdom from Saul, and he's now in this process of handing it over to David, a man after his own heart. And again, the background for that, I'm just going to touch on a few things, is is young David, the picture of, even as a young man, right? He's not out there playing, you know, the, the ancient equivalent of video games. He's tending the sheep. He's being responsible, and he's engaging his heart with the creator of the universe. That's how he's spending his time. So just to uh, cross the thing to parents, young men, men in this place. It's time. God needs mighty men. He needs mighty women to rise up who is setting aside the little play games to distractions of our culture and who start seeking the face of God and see what God will do. He promises he will come to you in power and strength and raise up someone who's will do great things and glory. But we are wasting life and being sucked into it more than we'd ever ever imagine, right? So that's what set that's the foundation for David. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look upon his appearance. So what's happened here in chapter 16 is that God called Samuel to go to the house of Jesse. He had eight sons and uh, um, bring them out. God has one who's going to be this king. And even Samuel's looked upon Eli, the first one's like, wow, this has got to be him. And God says, no. And he keeps bringing Jesse, keeps bringing his sons. No, no, no. And down to the end, Right to his no, and finally um, you know, Samuel's like, "What well, do you got? Anybody else?" And little old David, it's like he was even forgotten by his father. Out in the tending the sheep, brings David in. God says, "This is the man," and he was anointed in the presence, right, of all um, of his brothers. And uh, the Lord says to Samuel, "Do not look on his appearance, talking about his brother, or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him." For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Man. And don't we all? I mean, we look on the outward. We are so uh, conditioned that way. It's just built in. We look on the outside for appearances and we judge accordingly. God is looking for people who are willing to go deeper. God is looking for people who don't want to just be moved and, in relationship and in life by what is on the outside and, and who are not so concerned in their own life about their outside, who want to know the right on the inside with God. Amen. All right? So here's our first lesson. Lesson four, first three of last week. And here's the, all the other passages. Um, we'll get to some of these. Um, here it is. Real peace and freedom come from being honest with our heart before God. Where we are ultimately freed by the gospel to do what we ought to do, not what we want to do. Now, First um, Samuel 13, we just looked at in 16. Again, um, God setting up David um, over Saul and we... If you have time, please read all these passages. We continue on the last half of chapter 16 of 1 Samuel 16. Is, um, we see that David's, somehow his, through this and others, his reputation got out. That he wasn't just a musician, but he was a musician in touch with God that could minister in a powerful way in worship. Again, most of our psalms um, are from him, are written from him. And uh, let me just read, though, because this is a powerful part. Chapter 16, starting at verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him, David, in the midst of his brothers. Listen to this. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. A man after God's own heart. And that's the promise for anyone who today in the Gospel receives Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But you go back... To chapter ten, when Samuel, I mean excuse me, when Saul was anointed, and it says the spirit rushed upon Saul, doesn't say that it remained there. And listen to these next verses. These are some harsh truth. Verse fourteen Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Wow, what do we do with that? The next part of this chapter, it has Saul who's in torment, his soul, his heart, because he's rejected God. He's opened his heart. In other words, he's been half-hearted in his approach to God. He's left his heart open for torment. And you say, "Oh, we'll see." That's Old Testament. That doesn't happen today. Ephesians four says this: "Don't let the sun go down on your don't let the sun go down on your anger. Otherwise, you will give the devil a stronghold." stirring up our hearts. Be aware that your heart, as the scripture says, is the wellspring of life. We live in a spiritual worldview. And even me reading and talking about this, some of you are like, whoa, all right? You've been so, um, we all have been so conditioned in a very psychological, therapeutic culture that we're not even reading the Bible like it's supposed to be read with a spiritual worldview. Everything that happens here, right, is conditioned by the spiritual realm of what's happening in the realm above. And the only way to have a heart set free, the only way to really embrace the gospel and the freedom that comes with the gospel... I used to understand that and understand what God has done for us in taking us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, setting us radically free this heart space for the Spirit of God to come and engage our spirit to come alive. Otherwise, we live in a fallen world and repeatedly we are exposed to very tough things that bring oppression, that bring affliction, that keep us stuck. And this is what repeated rejection, repeated playing games with God, repeated Saul holding his heart back from God, not wholehearted in his approach. He left room. In this this specific situation, God brings discipline. It was time for Saul to start experiencing the consequence of his actions. And so, real peace, real freedom. They come, folks from being honest with their heart before God. Saul was never honest with his heart. He just kind of played along as such, getting what he wanted to get, still doing what he wanted to do, and not um, not submitted to the command of God. Now, this next part it shows that Saul is in his in the palace, and, and he's just afflicted now. Right, the farther he's playing with, you know, he's going down this line where his heart is hardening. His life, his inner life, is in utter turmoil. And they find David. It's an amazing little piece of the story. Pulls him from... This is before, right? David and Goliath. Sometime, we don't know how far before. And David comes into the palace. And when Saul is just inner, in inner turmoil, David starts playing his psalms. His, his and, and that brings peace upon Saul. And... Um, Folks, I've always wondered about that. Why is that? That's just interesting, isn't it? And folks, you go to other places in the Old Testament, music has all the power of music to move. Music is in touch with the spiritual realm. Music moves something inside you, doesn't it? That just reading something doesn't? There's something spiritual about it. Very spiritual about it. And this is what David was happening with David and Saul. But here's what I want us to think about. is Here you have Saul. He's being soothed by this, let's just say, this beautiful worship music. But his heart never changes. He's sitting, he's experiencing, oh, he's loving it. Come, just minister to me. But his heart never opens to God. He is satisfied with this soothing worship music. He's satisfied right, with a little help, with right, a little numbing, and his heart never is broken before God. I just want that to sink in. Because folks, I just wonder today how many are sitting in church week after week. They come, makes them feel good, they listen to great music. Maybe take a few notes from the message they have been going for decades to church and the soothing, feel good, going through the routine, this is pretty good stuff. But his hearts have never been broken before God. And they walk out those doors and they go about living their life with their heart still in bondage. And without even knowing it, year after year, getting harder and harder to God, they come to church and they start complaining, wondering why. This isn't working. I'm in worse shape. I'm, my emotions, where's the joy of the Lord? Where's, where are these things? And this Eve cycle takes hold. We need our hearts stirred. Without a brokenness, right? without receiving the fullness of the power of the gospel to bring real freedom. A heart can remain hard. And folks, it's not something you... Here's the deal. You can't just protect your heart. You know that? Your heart inside here is your spirit. And your spirit is what is in contact with the spiritual realm. And so what am I doing with that? Either my spirit is moving towards God and His freedom and His joy, the blessings of the gospel, or my heart and my spirit is submitted to this realm out here in the world where there's nothing good. Nothing good. How in tune are we with our spirit and our heart with the spiritual realm? Now here's the good news. The amazing news, right, is the gospel is sub what Jesus came to do, to bring the Holy Spirit inside now, the very presence of God, to come and to seal us, secure us, and dwell us with His Spirit to really set us free where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom on this July 4th. Freedom, real freedom begins here. Now this other passage here, Matthew ten thirty four. this is a tough one. Anybody know what that says? Matthew 20, 34? It says that Jesus, he says this, he says, I did not come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. You're like, what did Jesus say that? Especially in our culture today, we only hear about all the fluffy things Jesus says. We don't hear the full truth. Jesus says, I came not to bring peace. Now what does he mean by I came to bring a sword? What happened between Saul and David? What happened in the house? What happened when a man full of the Holy Spirit, a heart after God, engaged with a man who was rejecting God? Now the rest of David and Saul's battle before the kingdom is finally handed over right, to God shows it's divisive. It's ugly. It's a spiritual war. It's, div- it's division. It can't happen. Right? Right? is the heart, right, has to be engaged. And Jesus, when He says, I didn't come to bring... He goes on to talk about the call that, that, it, that this gospel, this heart, when we go to God, right, is we immediately engage into right, a, a warfare because there's war, folks. Do you realize that? You're in a war? It's not the one we have our eyes on. Remember, God looks... We look on the outside. It's the inside. It's the war over peoples and our hearts. That's where we have to be in tune. What's going on in here? What battle's going on here and what's the answer? We have the answer. The answer is the most glorious thing in all the world. There is no power, there is no evil spirit, there is no oppression. There is nothing that the gospel can't come with the mercy of God and radically set somebody, liberate somebody's life, gloriously set somebody free. But are we in tune with that? Are we moved by that? Do we want to see that happen? Are we willing to, boy, let God's gospel in His eyes shine in our own heart, right, to bring that kind of freedom before God? Otherwise, the older we get, folks, your heart only goes two directions. A heart as we old, it either gets old and crusty and hard towards God, stuck in our ways, or it's a heart that expands with the power of the Spirit, it's embracing the grace of God, the freedom of God, the fruit of the Spirit of God, and that just as soon as we can, it just lets everything out, we live free, I'm not holding anything back, I don't want to carry any baggage, I want to travel light. Yeah. That's what the gospel, folks, Does. The question for the church today is, are we letting it in? Is there a sense of transformation and brokenness, right? And the understanding of what freedom is. Folks, we have been so, our young people, our culture is so messed up, has no clue what the idea of freedom is all about. Has no clue. Today's definition of freedom is to be free to do whatever I want to do. That is underlying everything. In higher education and everything. It's the freedom to do what I want to do. That's bondage. That's the book of Judges. That's what happens when everybody just you know, is free to do what they want to do. That's what you've been taught. That's what is pounding home. That's the battle out there in our culture. Folks, that's not what founded this nation. That's not the freedom that God gives. The freedom that God gives, right, is this freedom when the gospel comes in, the Holy Spirit comes in. I'm free now to do what I ought to do the best. What God calls me to do. Because the Spirit of God is helping me do the right thing. He's helping me obey His commands. The right thing to do. Does that make sense? That's freedom. And folks, you can work. When Jesus says, I've not come to bring peace, but to bring a sword, is that, uh, here's the deal. When He returns, He is the Prince of Peace. He will bring peace when He brings His kingdom. For right now, you got two opposing kingdoms, and he says he's bringing a sword because there is a real warfare going on. And that warfare, he's called his church to be kingdom representatives. The war we're to be focused on is the hearts of people. That's the change. You can work, and this is my conversation with young people, I'm all for social justice. Let's go. Let's go make a difference. Let's go around the world and change the injustices. Yes, but never, never overriding the first priority God gives us, which is to get the peace of God into people's hearts. Because you can change, you can legislate, you can go do a thousand things on earth, it will never bring peace. Just look at the story of the king's. The history of the world, how good have we how, how effective has mankind been in instilling peace over the millennia we can 't do it, we will never do it until the kingdom returns. come, Lord jesus, yes. until then we 're in a battle, and we 're to represent the answer the the only answer to real freedom. Right? And it's to gauge people, Lord, show me to see what you see in this person. Show me to see what you see in my child. Lord, let me get in there. Let me have their heart. Let me go after that. Lord, for your glory to see freedom. Don't raise your hands, but I think we all, whether it's our self this morning, we, we, we have bondage. We know people who are afflicted, who are struggling, who are emotionally in bonds. Folks, please, I, and again, I'll probably get in trouble for this, but um, here's the Bible: very clear. The primary issue is spiritual. It is not some mental disease, and all these other things are going. Yes, there's physical things. Yes, all that. The primary problem is spiritual. You got the answer. The question is: Is their hearts ready to be open to embrace the answer? that is powerful enough to change and transform any oppression, any struggle today, it's the gospel. And there's freedom in the gospel where the Spirit of the Lord is. There's radical freedom. The question is, am I willing to open my heart uh, and have a broken heart and let the Spirit of God in and just shine His light on all my inner beings, all my stuff, Am I willing to do that? And, and folks, I can just tell you, being in this, being a, a believer for over 50 years, is that right? Yikes, that's, um, that's kind of scary. I should be a lot further along than I am. Um, but I can just say, it's, it's that onion peeling thing. It's just like, Lord, I thought we dealt with this. Whew. Peel it back. No, son, if you want to be a man after my heart, you're going to have to allow me to do some surgery. Some deep, deep surgery. And when you allow that painful cutting to take place, when I when you allow God to do it, right, man, it's liberation. It's liberation. And Saul was not willing to do that. It's a tragic. Samuel was was and even David wept over the man. He had everything laid out before him, but he wasn't willing to open his heart to God. Lesson number one. Oh, by the way, let me step back. Just Revelation 2, five folks sobering. Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, which is the church of all time, Jesus says this, says, church of Ephesus, church in general, if you do not repent, restore your first love, I will come and I'll remove your lampstand from my presence. Oh, that doesn't sound like the fuzzy Jesus that I'm hearing about. God doesn't do that kind of thing. Oh yeah, He does. Read the book, the entire Bible. He's a loving God and a loving Father disciplines His children. And there's a certain level that any of us can go, that any nation, that any... We've seen nations, churches, anything. I'll remove you from my presence. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to know what that is entailed with that. Lesson five. Lesson five seeking God's own heart, awakens, unites, empowers mighty men and women by the kindred Holy Spirit, greater than any human tie. Whoa. David and Jonathan says they made a covenant between each other It was even greater than a tie with a woman. It's like, what the heck is that all about? There is a kingdom tie among the children of God that is tighter than any tie on earth because it's an eternal tie. There is no marriage in heaven. We're married to the Lamb. We're the children of God. And Jesus is our brother, our Lord, our Savior. And what happens when a person goes after the heart of God is it awakens, not only does it enhance marriage, any intimate relationship, but it awakens other faith friends and it arrives, what happens is mighty men and women arise in the midst of this. And uh, so that they can advance the kingdom of God. This is what God does. He's looking. He says, no, I'm going to find a man. And his eyes says he looks to and fro around the earth who is fully devoted and that he might come and strengthen. He's looking. And what is he looking at? He's not looking at governments, he's not looking at power, not looking at all the stuff we look at, he's looking at hearts around the world. That's why when God wants to do something, sometimes he steps down in, in earth and he finds a little person unknown somewhere like David, a little shepherd left alone, and he'll take him, make him a king. Right. The heart. And so I just say this morning, if you think you've been left behind, if you think, wow, you know, I, I just feel like I'm, I haven't lived my life and, and all this all this. Let me tell you, we're starting right now. No matter how old you are, right, you set your heart towards God to be a man or woman. After His heart, His eyes will find you and He will do things as he, Ephesians 3.20 says, He will do things far exceeding before you. You can't even think or imagine according to the Spirit that's inside you. Amen. For His glory. So be encouraged. Open your heart. Right? And folks, I, I could preach a whole sermon just on this thing. So I don't have time. But look what happens. So chapter six, now we move into David and Goliath. One of the greatest stories there is in all of the, you know, probably the world. Right? And uh, the people wanted a king. They didn't want God to fight their battles. And if you see what happened with Saul, his first major failure, right, was that um, God told Samuel, told him to wait on me to come and sacrifice. The Philistines were riling up, building up a huge army, and the people were getting scared. They're hiding in caves, and, and Saul was getting desperate, and he wasn't waiting on God. And so what does he do? He gets desperate. Well, I'm going to make the sacrifice myself. He did not wait on God. He didn't wait on Samuel to come. And he lost the kingdom because of it. But when you read that story, folks, you go, dang, I want a king. Now you see why they want a king. You take care of this. You tell us what to do. You get the strategy, the the battle plan together. But this waiting until the last hour, and it says the seventh day. He says, I'll be there in seven days. And he still doesn't show up. Like, we're getting ready to die. And isn't that what God does? He's He's like the last hour. Why is that? Why is that? He wants people of faith. Faith is not faith until it's tested. So we' we bailing out, asking God for things, but then I are waiting, man, you're just not providing that spouse for me, so I'm going to go do it myself. Not providing the job for me. I'm just going to move to this city." Oh'm good on a list of things. We've all been there, right? So God's seeking people after his own heart. And what happens is mighty men and women. So David, we see this incredible, and I'm I'm not going to take time to do the David and Goliath, because that's so awesome. But here's the deal. The king was supposed to fight for the people. That's why they wanted the king. So where the heck was Saul? So now he's failing. at his failure. he's there. He, and Goliath is down there, oh, come on, fight me. And Saul sent him to go, ooh, And when the people go, wait, we, we wanted a king who would go fight for us. It was the king to go down there and fight that. And he held his son back, Jonathan. Chapter 14, one of the greatest stories, Jonathan got sick and tired of waiting around all these rites in the caves. And, and at some point now, and folks, we need Jonathans like this today, right? He's like, Lord, where's the power of God? Where's something gonna happen? We need people to say, all right, I'm just gonna step out and do something and see if you move. And David you know, secretly got his arm bowed and they said, we're gonna go nail these Philistines, right? And God was with him. He stepped out by faith and we see a wonderful battle. That was in the heart of Jonathan. Jonathan, his dad, unfortunately, holding him back, and his <clears throat> dad wasn't going to go fight and he wasn't going to let his, the heir to the throne fight. But, oh, but there was a warrior, right? And David rises up. And so you see, who was it? The new king who was going to fight for the people. And he's going to fight that battle by the power of God. Right? And then you know the story, right? <sniffs> Pop! Right? Nine feet tall, lodged. They think uh, the <coughs> Benjamites would sling these things. They tell us that they could knock off... Uh, they could hit a hair. That 's cool stuff, um and uh lodged it, boop, down he goes, and uh and you know the story, but what happens immediately after that, right in chapter eighteen, Jonathan 's sitting there going finally that 's my kind of bro i 'm following him, sorry, dad, but he 's got my armor he 's going to be the king. It awakened a deep, passionate, right, mighty. Men who want to give their life to something greater than who they are. They're just looking, waiting, looking for someone who's holy, looking for someone who's not going to compromise, looking for someone who will step out, fight a battle, and I'll I'll be right there. And folks, look at the rest. Why does and these other passages go look at them? It's so great. Um, Why do the writers spend so much time talking about David's mighty men? These are guys that took one spear, took out 300 at one time. Jonathan, one of his mighty men, takes out the giant who had six fingers and six toes. You know, uh, there's more and more of these giants. That's a whole other story, why we have giants. We'll talk about it another time. Um, and, and it's just these, one of these mighty, mighty men, they, um, it says they have faces like lions. Why? why? Why did they come to David? Why is that in there? Why is that in there? Why didn't Saul have mighty men? Why didn't, look at all these other kings, why didn't they have this kind of thing? Because they saw not just a mighty warrior, they saw a man whose God's favor was upon. That he was not going to compromise when it came to the battle. And you know what, if I'm in a battle, I want to be on God's side. I want to be with him, right? It's not just men. Folks, and I'll give it to you in chapter 25. Um, Abigail, what a mighty woman. And she's married to a worthless, foolish man. His name is Nabal, and his name means foolish. He's a very wealthy man. All he wanted to do was get drunk and party and just take advantage of all his fun stuff. He had a beautiful wife whose heart was left abused. David comes in, and if you read the story, he was going to wipe them all out, And uh, because N- Nabal gave a harsh response to the king. Abigail in her toughness, right, is that she just put her life in the line to go out and to be an intermediary, right, took her life on the line to come to David, right, to hold his hand back. And there's something powerful here. Is you see that David says, oh my gosh, he honors her, like, like words like we don't see honored among many other people. And he says, woman, because of your faith, because of this, you've saved me from, from guilty bloodshedding. And he honors her, and the rest of the story is that Nabal was such a fool, God killed him um, because of his foolishness, just led to more and more foolishness, and Abigail became David's wife to the mighty man of God, because she stood up, right? And gentlemen, today we need to rise up and until the church gets right when it comes to the right roles of men and women and how they beautifully work together, if we don't stop playing games with this, what the Word of God clearly says the church will never be united to be able to fight this battle. It's going to lay it out there like that. The Bible could not be any clearer from Genesis to the end how these two are to work beautifully together. Beautifully. Beautifully. And I can relate to that story. There's many times we have, Michelle, we have this thing where, you know, something's going on and I'm getting too intense or I'm about to just say something and there's that strong grip on the arm, hold me back like, thank you, you saved me from really terrible stuff. During COVID, I don't know, I'm way off track here, but in COVID, we were walking outside around the golf course. Two people come to us with masks. 20 feet away, they start screaming at us, Don't you know we're all, all right, get your mask on, you know what I mean? I was about to uncork, and uh, we're outside. Again, thank the Lord for a godly woman. Pull back, right? And um, just this working together, honoring each other's beauty and giftedness. Right? Mighty men and women. That's what we need. Where are they? We're t- piddling around with little things. We're compromising the Word of God. Stand on it. It's true. It has not changed. Don't let culture sell you a lot. Young people, I plead with you. Stand with God. He will raise you up. And you'll start to see right some transformation. Okay? Alright, last point. 1 Samuel 28 and uh, 11 through 12. Um, So being a man after God's own heart doesn't mean being perfect. It means, boy, you better. And woman... It means when we start inviting God and we start engaging in this battle, we better be sharp. We better have the arm of God. We better have other faith friends, the Jonathans, the Abigails, right, pressing in, the church body praying for them, upholding one another, right, because, you know what, we can come off our game. 2 Samuel 11 through 12 is the story of Bathsheba and it opens up with, at the time when the kings are out at war, David should have been, he's the king, he should have been out at the front like he always was. What did he do? Ah, you know guys, you guys going out, I'm just going to, I'm getting kind of Comfortable in my silk underwear in the palace now, and I'm just gonna chill. He isolated himself, and the next thing that happened, you know, right? He fell in the consequence for his family and other things and for the kingdom. But here, folks, is the beauty. And then Nathan, the prophet who could have <laughs> washed his head. We need prophets to rise, folks. It's in the Bible. We need men and women to rise up. A black and white. Here's the word of God. We're not wavering. Here's what God is saying. We need to get back on cue. Here. And Nathan did that with David. And, he, and we need this in with one another. All this sappy stuff going on, we need truth and love. Nathan comes to David. got a little story to tell him. He says, you are the man. You are the one. You are the murderer. You are the sinner. Call it out. And what David do? I can tell you what Saul did. We've seen what Saul did. With Samuel's calling out. Ah, yeah, yeah, I know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but, but I, I did this right over here. A corrupt heart. What did David do? His heart broke. It broke. It broke. The thing that is, if there's one lesson, folks, That attracts God more than anything. That's absolutely mandatory. You can go to Isaiah 66 2. The thing that draws God in is a humble, contrite, and broken heart before God. He begins the kingdom message Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the the kingdom. So we want to just close this time um, by singing Psalm 51. Because we have the greatest expression. I think the psalm, and I'm going to read it, and Derek, y'all come up and lead us in this as we close. But um being after God's heart is having him search our heart. Psalm 139, what does David pray? Lord, search me, O God. Know my heart. That's the prayer. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Just bring God in. Come on, God. Shine your light. Let's get right with you. I want freedom. I want freedom, right? So we have God search our heart, being open to conviction. When was the last time you were broken before God, convicted, when you are reading His Word? When was the last time that somebody came to you with a rebuke and said, hey, friend, you're out of line here. We bought the lie that, oh, we've got to be merciful and loving and kind of walk along. No, no. We don't see that in the Scripture. Sin is sin. It needs to be dealt with very bluntly. Very clearly, according to the Word of God. Truth and love, right? Coupled together. Quick to confession with a broken and contrite heart. Um, and so let me just uh, read this, folks. and um, I try to sit with the Lord on this. Um, let me tell you. When He... Shines His light on something. I can tell you from experience, don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. Embrace His grace. Get right before Him, right? Um, verse 5, I'll let them sing the main section, but behold... He says, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you, God, teach me wisdom in the secret heart. All right. Invite him in. Invite him in. So, Father, thank you for your word. And, Lord, you know wherever your heart is, you know what business we need to do. Come with your convicting power, come with your encouragement. Lord, if there's anybody watching, anybody in here this morning that needs to just give their life to Jesus, to receive the gospel, Lord, open their heart. Today's the day of salvation. Today. Let them not leave, Lord, without just being encouraged and praying and receiving the greatest thing, the only thing that brings about real freedom. We love you, Lord.